Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer on this Monday morning, November 15th. I'm Tom Short, so glad to have you along as we get into the Word of God every day. Look into it, try and discover more and more of what it says, pray over it, live it out, and it changes our life. There's power in the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture, is the foundation of our faith. And we've been looking at some of the things we believe and comparing the scriptural teaching to the teaching of the Catholic Church. And, um, you know, can I be honest? It's been a long time since I've had to dig into these doctrines and really examine them and teach them. This hasn't come up on campus a great deal through the, through the last 15, 20 years. It used to be big on the campus. And, um, and it's so encouraging, so encouraging to dig into the Word of God and discover what it says on some of these topics I'm really enjoying this study. I hope you will as well. Today we want to talk about purgatory. Purgatory, what is that? Catholic doctrine teaches that when you die, if you die with what's known as venial sins, then you go to a place called purgatory in order to be punished for those sins and cleansed from those sins so that you may be prepared to go to heaven. So purgatory is a place that is a place of fire, is a place of cleansing, is a place uh, of where, again, you're prepared to go to heaven. Purgatory was interesting because it's, it's not only this in-between place where you're not bad enough to go to hell, but you're not yet ready to go to heaven. So you've got to go to this place where you suffer so that you learn not to sin anymore. And once you've learned not to sin in purgatory and you've been cleansed, prepared for heaven, then you go to heaven. And it's a bad place. And actually, this plays a significant role in the beginning of the Reformation because it was Martin Luther who 500 years ago, 500 and some years ago, posted, when he posted the 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg, and his, his goal there was just to begin a debate. It was four years later, I believe, that he got excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Actually, four years was 500 years ago this year he was excommunicated but his goal was to begin a debate on should we be having indulgences and indulgences was a way that people could pay money to the catholic church and what that could do is they would get some of their loved ones out of purgatory more quickly and if they paid certain amounts of money they might you know if someone was destined to be in purgatory for 100 years They pay a certain amount of money, they can knock 50 years or 70 years or 80 years or maybe all 100 years off of their suffering in purgatory by, shall we say, buying their way out with these indulgences. And this, you know, Luther saw as being completely corrupt and wrong, and he was right. It is corrupt, it was corrupt, and it led to the uh, Protestant Reformation. I often hear Catholics say to me, wouldn't it be nice if the church was all united and it's a problem after the Reformation? We've got all these different denominations. Well, it's also nice if the church isn't corrupt and isn't based on, on corrupt, false theology. And so sometimes, yes, to stand against that, sometimes it requires dividing and leaving if theology is corrupt, particularly at this level because this gets to the gospel message. The question becomes, for us, for anyone... How is a person cleansed from their sin? How does a person become prepared for heaven? What's it take? Do we need to 
go to a place if we die with what's known as venial sins. And by the way, venial versus mortal are the big sins, intentional sins that, you know, you're in big, big trouble for those venial sins or smaller sins. Maybe you were unintentional in them. Maybe maybe you didn't real, even realize they were sins. We'll talk about mortal and venial sins, by the way, tomorrow and ask if that's taught in the Bible. But the question becomes, how do you get prepared for heaven? And the answer, my friend, you and I know, Jesus bore our punishment. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he bore the punishment for our sins. The question is, did he do it fully? Or did he just die for the big ones? Or did he just die for the sins we're aware of? Or did he die for all of our sins? And through the death of Christ, did he, uh, does he prepare us fully for heaven? I'd like to just give you a number of verses. These will all be in the description below, but I'll share them for you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel announces you should call his name Jesus. He's talking to Mary. You should call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It is Jesus who saves us from our sins. Matthew, or John, chapter 1, and verse 29, when Jesus was first appeared and John the Baptist saw him. He cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What did the Lamb of God do? The Lamb of God would be slain. In the Old Testament, they'd slay a lamb, and it was the lamb who would take away the sins. It was the lamb who would be the propitiation, the expiation, the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In, in um, Leviticus 17.11, we're told that it, it is the uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. It is the blood, by reason of the life in it, that makes atonement for your sins. The blood makes atonement, not being purged in purgatory, not suffering down in the fires of, of this in-between place. Rather, it is the blood that makes atonement for our sins. And I would assume there's no reason to believe it doesn't make atonement for all of them. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus says and declares his mission. He said, I have come to serve. I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many, that his life would be the, the ransom, the payment. Paul speaks about this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, and in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where he says, in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. What is redemption? It's when Jesus bought us back, the price being his precious blood. We read in 1 Peter chapter 1, the precious blood of Christ would purchase us, would redeem us, would cleanse us from all sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us this, the wages of sin is death. Doesn't say big sins, little sins, mortal sins, venial sins, nothing like that. Just the wages of sin, the punishment of sin is death. And then we put that together with 1 Peter 3, 18, where it says that Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. This is the gospel message, that our sins required the judgment, the punishment of God. We were guilty. Jesus was innocent, sinless. And yet he went to the cross and he bore the punishment for our sins. And on the cross, 
on the cross of Jesus Christ. There he was punished. There he bore what we deserved. And again, it doesn't say that he, he died for some of our sins or just the ones we were aware of. It simply says the wages of sin is death. Christ died for sin. He died for our sin. You know, a big question is, did Jesus accomplish his purpose on the cross? Did Jesus fulfill it? Was the death of Christ really sufficient to pay the price to redeem us, to cleanse us from all sin? The verse that comes to my mind is John 19 and verse 30, where Jesus, his last words, he cried out, it is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. What was finished? What did Jesus do? I believe he, came, he accomplished his mission. He accomplished his purpose. And his purpose was, indeed, to some great degree, Jesus was born to die. Ultimately, this would have been the purpose, not the only purpose Jesus served on earth, but, but the, that he, when he was on that cross, he paid for our sins. He was punished for our sins, every one of them. And he finished it. He didn't, get, he didn't leave part of it undone. He finished the task. Purgatory would imply that he didn't finish it, that we've got a part to play in being cleansed of our sins, that, we've got a, that, that he, he doesn't cleanse us from all of them. We've got to cleanse ourselves from some of them. We've got to suffer for something. The death of Christ wasn't sufficient to suffer for all of our sins. We need to suffer for some of them. It wasn't sufficient to cleanse us totally. We need to do we need some cleansing in addition to the cross of Christ. But he called out it as finished. This actually was, could, was often used as a business term. When people had completed a business deal, they, they would, like we would strike hands and say, you know, it's done. It's a sign that the job was finished. The payment was made. We're now moving on. Everything's been satisfactorily done. They would say, they, they would finish, they would, uh, this word, to telestai, to leo would be an indication that it was done. And then one final verse or two, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe this is a salvation verse, by the way. I'm not against con on, on continuing confession, but I believe that 1 John 1 refers to salvation refers to coming to Christ, being saved. And then chapter 2, he goes on to say, so it can, we confess it, that's a part of our salvation. We confess our sins, we come to Christ. He cleanses us from all, all sin. And then chapter 2, he says, he goes on, Paul goes on and he writes this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. What's that mean? Propitiation. What's that word mean? It means that the, the full payment, the satisfactory payment, Jesus fully paid. He was a propitiation for our sins. He is, by the way, it says he is our advocate. When I, when I go to heaven, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, when you go to heaven, if you're accused, if Satan accuses you, if the law accuses you of sinning, you don't have to stand up and defend yourself. You have an advocate. Jesus Christ will stand up and defend you. 
Jesus Christ will stand up and say, wait, wait a minute. I paid for that. I was punished for that. I died on the cross for that. I have fully paid. The, I am the propitiation. My blood is the propitiation for that sin that they committed. And you and I, we will have an advocate. If you don't have Jesus, if you're trusting yourself, your own works or another religion or whatever, you're on your own. You're on your own. Muhammad's not going to stand up for you there. Buddha's not going to stand up for you there. Christians are going to stand up for you. You know, if you don't believe in God, you're on your own. You will have no advocate. You'll be in court, shall we say, on the judgment day all by yourself. You and I who believe in Jesus, we have an advocate. He will stand up. You don't have to say a word. He'll stand up and defend you. He's our advocate. Now, two final things about purgatory. Number one, why do Catholics believe it? Is there any scriptural basis for it? Well, like many of their doctrines, no, there's not. They may look to a, they may, after having believed it and having had to defend it now that, so, see, many of these doctrines came in when very few people were reading the Bible. Let's not forget that for, before the printing press, Bibles weren't really common. And people and doctrines would come in and teachings would come in and, and the common person didn't have access to a Bible. Now that we do, and these doctrines, Catholics have to defend them. And their defense, one of the verses, a primary verse they use is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Let me read it. It says this. We'll start with 10. By the grace, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Another's building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Just remind, remember again, like we talked last Friday, it's not Peter. Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. He's the foundation, not Peter. Verse 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Two comments about this. Number one, this judgment is not judging our sins it's judging our works it's judging the, the 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 positive things that we've built in our life it's after we are saved we do have the opportunity for reward and we have the opportunity and we could suffer loss you and i my friend the way we spend our lives the way we spend our time the way we spend our money the what what we do with our lives you and i have opportunity to build upon the foundation of jesus christ with precious things, uh, gold, silver, precious stones, works of love, works of faith, salvation, making disciples, leading people to Christ, serving others, caring for others, loving others. All of these things can gain, uh, can will be rewarded in heaven. Or you and I can pour our lives into temporal things that have no value in eternity. They won't add one bit. We can just do, do all kinds of things that, once it's all over, it's over because those things won't last whatsoever. And so we, this doesn't say that we'll be, go through fire. It says the works, the things we do that would be rewarded by God. Some, all, all the works we do, some will be rewarded, some won't. And indeed, if they won't, we'll suffer loss. 
there will be a sense of loss. There'll be a sense of my life didn't really add up to anything. My life didn't count. My life didn't mean what it could have meant. But that doesn't mean that I would go and spend lengthy periods of time burning and being purified so that I'd be prepared to go to heaven. Now, one final thing, though, suffering does have value. And I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, where we see that, that there is value in suffering in relation to sin. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Yes, there is suffering that can purge us of false motives, of lust. When we see the, the, the consequences of sin, we see that sin doesn't satisfy, we suffer. And suffering purifies our motives and heart, and it can cause us and lead us to wanting to live a more holy and pure life. But notice it says, in the flesh, those who suffered in the flesh, those who to spend the rest of their time on earth, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. When we die, the, we leave the flesh behind. The flesh, the, the sinful nature, it's behind us. When we enter into glory, we don't have it. But it's here on earth, part of our sanctification. Suffering here can have a big part in our sanctification. But once, once this life is over, once we're no longer on earth, um, we've been sanctified. We go to heaven. We're in glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What an awesome teaching. The blood of Christ cleanses us. We have an advocate. We don't have to have hanging over our heads this, if there's a sin I haven't confessed or a sin I don't know about, I'm going to go to this period of time in, in purgatory where I'm going to be in flames and, and, and cleansed and purified, purged of my sin it's the blood of Christ. And so this doesn't make this should not make us lazy, lackadaisical about being forgiven and cleansed. This ought to in, uh, put within us a gratitude and a love of God. He's given us a gift beyond description. He's given us a gift beyond description. And, and this is the gospel message. The gospel is designed to win our hearts, not to threaten us. The gospel is designed to win, the love, win us to love God, that we would love him because he first loves us. And so we come to God, certainly we come to God out of a fear of God. We don't want to be punished. But once we realize what he's done, the grace, the kindness, the mercy, the cleansing, wow, we, we continue on. We thank him. We were filled with praise for the gift of God. Amen. Lord, hallelujah. Father, hallelujah. We give you praise and thanksgiving with all of our heart that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. Hallelujah. We praise you. We thank you we have an advocate that, that Jesus, you, the righteous, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, you are our advocate with the Father. We thank you you're the propitiation, you're the full payment. You have completely paid for all of our sins and atone for all of our sins. It is the blood that makes atonement. We thank you, Jesus, you finished your task. On the cross, you could say it is finished. On your final prayer, the night of your betrayal, you said that you had 
you had glorified the Father, having accomplished what the Father had given you to do. We thank you, Jesus, that you completed your work. You have taken away our sins, redeemed us, ransomed us, made us whole, made us clean. Our sins, though they were scarlet, you've made them white as snow. You've taken them and buried them in the deepest sea. I want to thank you today that you have, you have forgiven the sins we are aware of and unaware of. You've forgiven them all, the big ones, the little ones. We thank you. Any one of them could have kept us out of heaven. Any one of us would have separated us from a holy God. But you have, you have taken care of every one of them. And for this, we bless you. We thank you for the freedom, the joy, the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We're filled with praise. We're filled with praise. Oh, Father, might this, the glory of your mercy and this wonderful transaction whereby our sins have been paid for and our soul, our, we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, might this, might this motivate us might it always ring in our heart. Help us never grow tired of celebrating it. Help us never become accustomed of, yeah, God forgave me. I pray that the preciousness of it, the beauty of it, the glory of it would live in our hearts every day and motivate us to a life of gratitude, thankfulness, and tremendous overflowing love. That We would be like Paul who said, having concluded this, one died for all, therefore one died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Today, Lord, might, might our cleansing and our salvation motivate us to a life of love, devotion, and good works for you and sharing this good news with others. We pray this thing, we pray these things and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. This is so exciting to me. I hope it is to you. Tomorrow we're going to continue on with another uh, doctrine. We're, we're going to talk about are there mortal and venial sins, big sins, little sins, sins that can send you to hell, other sins that can't, only send you to purgatory. So I hope you join with me. Make sure and share this with others. These things are important to know. These are gospel truths. These are not insignificant or peripheral issues. These are gospel truths. It's important to know. So I hope you can join me, and I hope you will share this with others. And we will see you tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m. Look forward to that. God bless you. Love you guys. Bye-bye.